So hopefully today I look less orange. If you've been watching our uh, live streams for the last year and a half, you notice that there's an orange hue to me. And it's not because I fake tan, I don't. It's, it's because uh, the lighting in our church was very old. Uh, we, we're, the, the project is not complete. For those of you who don't know, we, we have been uh, really Bill and uh, assisted a lot of, by Ryan and Hannah, uh, some others, uh, Bridget, Ray Varela. A lot of people have been working to kind of give the church a little bit of a facelift. And, and part of that has been just tons of new lights. And it's not done yet, but it, the, the, the change is dramatic. Um, while the world has been uh, in the grave of the coronavirus and the, the pandemic lockdown, uh, the church has been kind of being revived, sort of structurally. And uh, this week, I'm going to really try to get like a really good, you know, I'm actually going to try and produce a video rather than just me following Bill around and being like, look, just so you can see uh, how cool things are looking and, and what some of the possibilities we have going forward, some of the ways that we can, um, not, I mean, our, our service probably won't change that much, but the, we'll be able to see better and, and we'll have more opportunities, a lot of cool things that we can do. I'm ex- really excited of what's going to happen with stuff like VBS and some of our youth group functions. And Anyway, I'm gonna, so we're gonna, I'm going to try to produce a video. And, and when I do, I really hope you take the time uh, to, to check it out because I think you're going to be really excited about what we're doing. Last week, we began a series called Holy Rollers. Now, Holy Rollers, uh, for most people, well, we're a grace church. So uh, what that means is that we believe that God's grace has freed us from uh, the law of the Old Testament and has really opened up the way we do life so that there's not like, a, you know, there's not a whole bunch of do's and don'ts. Life isn't this list of things that, yes, you can do that and no, you can't do that. Instead, we're led by the Spirit to live in God's grace. Now, that sounds awesome, but it's very confusing because at the same time, we're told that God is holy. And we sang a lot about that this morning. Holy, holy, holy. And, and we learned last week that holy means that God is radically different than the world around us. And so we should be too. So how do we how do we square that circle? How is it that that Christians, Jesus believers, can be holy, radically different from the world, and yet not reduce everything to do this, don't do that? And so we call it holy rollers because holy rollers have been known for at least the last hundred years to be the anti-bonds. So we have the anti-bond, James Bond. The man gambles, he smokes, he drinks, he dances. Probably does more bad stuff than that. Vices, right? That's the, and, and, and holy people are people who stay away from vices. That is kind of the sort of caricature that Christian living has been reduced to. And we categorically reject that. One of the other things we saw last week, and if you haven't, if you weren't with us last week, I really encourage you to go check, check us out on our YouTube channel. Uh, we, we saw that the Old Testament law is actually a revelation of who God is, and it shows us really fascinating things about God and and very, maybe surprising things, and shows us how we too can be holy like God without going to this and that and yes and no, and instead having the dispositions of a true holy roller. And so with that, I would like you to, to join me as we read one of the strange laws of Leviticus. This is a law, it's a, it's a bit odd, 
And uh, you might be surprised to find it in the Bible, but let's, let's read it together. This is Leviticus 17, 10 to 14. This is the New Revised Standard Version. I think it strikes a nice balance between readability, but also fidelity to the Hebrew. Um, and there's one place where I'll kind of fight with it a little bit. But read with me. If anyone of the house of Israel or of the aliens who reside among them eats any blood... I will set my face against that person. That really means I'm going to turn against that person. I'm going to oppose that person who eats blood and will cut that person off from the people. For the life of the flesh is in the blood and I have given it to you for making atonement for your lives on the altar. For as life, it is the blood that makes atonement. Therefore, I have said to the people of Israel, no person among you shall eat blood, nor shall any alien or immigrant who resides among you eat blood. And any one of the people of Israel, or any of the immigrants who reside among them, who hunts down an animal or bird that may be eaten, check this out, shall pour out its blood and cover it with with, with earth, with, uh, with dirt. For the life of every creature, its blood is its life. Therefore, I have said to the people of Israel, you shall not eat the blood of any creature. For the life of every creature is its blood. Whoever eats it shall be cut off. Now, before we go any further, I want to make a promise. Right now, uh, in, 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 at least here in Orange County, and if you're elsewhere, uh, I can just tell you what's going on here in South Orange County, in the state of California, in 2020, in late April. The, there, there, the question is, how long is this going to go on? There is a major question where everyone's like, are we going to be sheltering in place forever? What about work? Should we go back? Will that endanger lives? Should we not? And there's this very interesting kind of tension going on now between uh, sort of what we're hearing from the authorities that we're going to, you know, I think Governor Newsom last week said that we're probably going to be in some kind of restrained way of living at least until 2021. And then there's other people, now we've had protests, people who are like, no, we want to go back to work. Partially, I think, because the, uh, the police um, put sand in a skate park in San Clemente, and the people of San Clemente are like, no, we will skate! And so they went, and I guess they moved. I, it's very tense, and I don't, you know, I, but here's my promise to you. My promise to you is this. This text about eating and drinking blood is going to have a direct impact on your answer to the question whether or not we should go back to work. So with that, let's take a look at this text. Let's, let's, okay, if anyone eats any blood, I'm going to oppose that person who eats blood. Cut that person off from the people. Wow, eating blood. So the, really what's probably going on here is there's, there's two ways that you could consume blood. The first would be if you uh, slew an animal, you slayed, uh, you, an animal hath been slain by you. If you did that to an animal uh, and you didn't cook it well enough, uh, presumably when you're eating like raw flesh or something like that, you'd consume blood. Right, that's one way that this might happen. Another way this might happen is if you uh, the animal and you filled up a cup with blood, presumably you could drink that, right? And that would be one way, which is gross. And even just talking about it makes me a little bit lightheaded. So if I pass out, someone come in and I, I'm I'm terrible with blood these days. Uh, no person among you will eat blood. And not even the immigrants who live among you. What, what the heck? I, I think it, the, the text even goes on again to another, or not. Okay, this, this in the ancient world, consumption of blood, um, 
is a very strange thing. And we're going to talk about it. So anyone who hunts down an animal, not only do you not drink the blood, instead of not drinking the blood or not cooking, you actually like, so if you get a bird, you like that, and the blood apparently drops onto the ground, and then you cover the blood with dirt. Yeah, when I read this, all I can think about is uh, Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. A, a terribly flawed movie, but looks a lot better after Indiana Jones 4 came out, which was a horror show. Indiana Jones has two things going for it. The first is Short Round, who, uh, you know, that kid is great. He was also in Goonies, and apparently after, like, he just quit acting, and I think he's like a software engineer now or something like that. And every once in a while, people go and interview him. They're like, hey, weren't you Short Round? He's like, yeah. But not anymore. And the other thing was awesome was Harrison Ford. Harrison Ford in his prime uh, was amazing. I really think he needs to not do Indiana Jones 5, but the man just can't help himself. And in his 70s, God bless him, you go for it, Harrison Ford. The problem with Indiana Jones Temple of Doom, two things. The first, the, the, the shrillest, was Kate Capshaw. We have Kate Capshaw. Yeah, she spends the whole movie screaming. She's like, anytime, like, I think right here she's eating monkey brains or something. She's like, ah! And there's, an, there's a, a reptile, and she screams about that. There's an eyeball in her soup. She screams about that. She's a very, very irritating person. And uh, she, the only reason she got the job is because she was married to the director at the time. Uh, so that's one way you can advance in Hollywood. Uh, but it didn't last for her. But really what made the movie hard to stomach, literally hard to stomach, was uh, Mola Ram. He's on the left there, Mola Ram. He is a, a, a blood priest. And he, in the movie, the movie was a, was a hard PG-13. It was almost rated R. They actually had to cut back on a couple of the scenes of terror because literally in this movie, I mean, the guy is like, ta- he's taking people's hearts out of their chest and like blood splattering ever. I mean, for a PG-13, this is like, eh, do not show it to your kids. Like, this is the last Indiana Jones movie that a child is allowed to watch as they're growing up. Because this one's the most, it's the most intense. And if you're paying attention to the film, you start to realize that, that the reason he's a blood priest is that he believes that there's some magical power that blood has. And that hearts have. And that if he can control that power, he's gonna become, like, the best and most, you know, the evilest, most powerful sorcerer in, in all of uh, India or wherever wherever it takes place, and and, and there and there's a sense that if you're kind of like with you know cultural anthropology, you might know and you might have heard that in the ancient world, blood a lot of times in consumption of blood was treated as like a magical gift. So if you went and you drank someone's blood, you would gain their power, right? And so a lot of people have looked at this text and they're like, well, what this is about is you know keeping Israelites from like trying to do magic to gain power, something like that. Well, that, what's, what's pr- my problem with that is that that's not what the Bible says. <laughs> and it's cool that people want to think that, and it's neat that you know, someone in, made Indiana Jones and Temple of Doom, and that's all great. But, but look, look at what the text actually says. If anyone of the house of Israel or of the aliens who reside among you eats any blood, I will set my face against the person who eats blood, cut that person off from the people. The life of the flesh is in the blood. The life of the flesh is in the blood. I think this is repeated, right? A little bit later on. Yeah. And not, not just, not just humans, not just human flesh, but every creature, right? It's blood is its life. What does that mean? 
one of the uh, one of the necessities of modern living. Um, now, and who would have thought this is the case? But uh, every person has one of these in their house now. Do you have the? Yes. You have what's it's we call it the family charging station. We have we have two, two charging stations, and and this is because we can't function without digital screens. In fact, this church right now can't function without you watching me through a digital screen. So some of you may actually literally be watching me on your iPhone, and it might be plugged into a charging station right now. The reason we have charging stations in our house is because the last thing we want during the coronavirus is this. There, there, there are... I know, none, none of us let our children look at screens any more than two hours a day, because that's what's healthy, right? I mean, we're all on board for that. <laughs> no. I look, and it's not like, it's not like I don't, I'm, look, we're trying, okay, we're trying. But, you know, kids are supposed to, like, run around and see friends. And when that's deprived of them, they think that they need my attention all the time to function. Which I love, and I'm, so, I'm super grateful for the time that I'm being able to spend with my kids. Allison and Olivia, I love you. I do. Um, Soren, too. You can't understand anything. It's great. Uh, but occasion, Allison and Olivia, if you're listening, here's the deal. The reason we give you those things is not because we want, we want you to have fun. It's because we need you to be quiet. It's, it's, a, it's beautiful. It's like, it's like all of the screaming stops. when you. And so, if, and even with the way we talk about it, so when the, the power runs out, right, there's wailing and gnashing of teeth. Why? Because the iPad or the laptop or the phone is, what do we say? It has become, what is that? No. It's dead. Yes, it's dead. That's, it, it, think about the, 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 the metaphor we use to talk about a, an iPad with no power. It's dead. It died. My kids, Allison and Olivia, they come and they say, Daddy, the iPad died. And then a little part of me dies too. And we get that thing into the charging station. Run! And that's because we know that an iPad without a charge is just a piece of very expensive plastic, silicon, lithium ions, metal. I don't, who knows what an iPad's made out of, but it needs a very expensive case to protect it. It is nothing. It's just, it's a doorstop. It's, you could probably, if you have a bigger one, you could probably use it to hit somebody, but that's about all you can do. It's not, that's what an iPad is without electricity. We know that they've got, it's got some kind of battery. You plug it in, the, the power comes into it, and that's what makes an iPad an iPad. Similarly, God says the life of the flesh is in its blood. Just as electricity is to the iPad or the device, so blood is to the human or animal body. Blood coursing through the veins is what animates and gives life to a being. Without that blood, once the blood stops circulating, once it's been poured out... Ancient people noticed, that's not a person anymore. That's not a dog anymore. That's not a goat anymore. That's just a carcass. Now what that means is, when God says the the blood is the life, 
that what it is, the, 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 the very life force, the very animation, the thing that makes a dog a dog and a goat a goat and Doug Doug <laughs> is the blood. And that means that when you cut open Doug and Doug bleeds, he's losing a little bit of himself and he's in danger of not being Doug anymore. And so when the Bible says, you know, the, the blood is the life or the life is in the blood, the life of the flesh is in the blood, what the Bible is saying is that, is that life Blood symbolizes that. And, 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 and because blood symbolizes that, did you notice in the text, you know, you, you squeeze out the bird or the, or the animal and then you cover the, the blood with dirt. It, this is an, it's, a, it's a form of respect. It's recognizing that the life of this creature in whatever way was sacred. That Doug's life is sacred. Treating Doug's blood in, in, a, in a respectful way and not, and not messing with it is a way of respecting and keeping Doug and Doug's life sacred. And this is not in some, you know, Dances with Wolves, Kevin Costner way, where it's like, you know, the, the, the buffalo, we eat all the parts of the buffalo to, because the buffalo is part of nature and, and is our brother. It's not that. It's not mystical. It's not new agey. It's just God recognizing and God telling Israel, I love life. I am for life. And I want you to treat life, all life, as sacred. And the way you're going to do that, the way you're going to show me that is by being very careful with the way you handle the life force, the blood. That's the first thing in your note, God's command to treat all blood as sacred shows God being radically for all life. In modern parlance, we say God's pro-life. But of course, that's a loaded term because uh, when we say pro-life here in North America, immediately the, the debate is about abortion. And, and we can definitely say that God is for the life of children, absolutely. But God's for-lifeness is way beyond that. God is radically for life. And, and I would suggest to you that God's radical for-lifeness, part of God's holiness, that, that is, it's, it's way different than the way the world thinks about life. The world, you might, it might, you might seem to, you might hear the world seeming to be for the continuation of life. But it, doesn't it seem though, that really what people are for is the continuation of my life? Doesn't it seem that our for lifeness, wherever we see it in the culture, is really about me? Maybe me and mine. Let's go back to the text. This is very, very cool. So, okay, so if, if, if blood is to be respected, it's sacred, we're going to treat it well, what's it for then? What, what can we do with blood? Well, this is what God says. So the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it to you for making atonement for your lives on the altar. For as life, it is blood that makes atonement. That last clause, for as life, it is the blood that makes atonement. It's an awkward clause in the Hebrew. Um, and if you were to do it really woodenly, it would say, um, for the blood itself in the life atones. Okay, or by the life atones. So the, 
Because the blood itself, by the life or in the life, atones. And if you, go, if you go through a lot of different translations, you'll see that translators really have a difficulty trying to make sense of this. or trying to understand what is it exactly that God is saying about, about uh, blood, life, and atonement. What's the connection there? And, and the first thing to notice is if you don't know the word atonement, you can just break it apart and you can find out what it means. It's at one mint. It's taking two parties that are not at one and making them at one. And in the context of Israel and God and us and God, we as sinning people, as people who've done wrong and are corrupt, we, we are not at one with God naturally, right? And so God has to come up with ways for us to become at one with him. And so this text uh, kind of is, is explaining how that sort of works. And, and I, wanna, I want you to see it. There's a, there's a, a, a part of Saving Private Ryan where uh, Captain Miller, he's uh, played by Tom Hanks, uh, he's, he's really having a tough time uh, with the mission that he's on, and so he's confiding in his first sergeant uh, what it is that makes it possible to keep going. Because the farther he goes, the more people in his care die. And, and this is the case for anyone who's commanded or led uh, troops in combat, is that doing so puts you in a position where you're going to lose people. And, and the character, Miller, explains how it's possible to keep going. He says, he says, I think for every one of my men that's lost, that's, that's ten people who are going to be saved from the Nazis. Or maybe not just ten, maybe a hundred, maybe a thousand. He's like, so every, every time I lose somebody, every time the life is taken from Caparzo or whomever, I tell myself, this is awful, but I'm going to keep going because that life is buying 10, 100, 1,000 more. In the third world, we don't see it as often here in North America and the first world, but in the third world, childbearing is still extremely dangerous. And there's lots of situations and throughout history where a, where a woman has really been in a place where it's, it's, it's her or the baby. And every woman who makes the choice and says, the baby... is making a trade. My life for hers. My life for his. We, we, we naturally understand, we intuit that there are times and cases and places where death is inevitable. It's, it, it, it's going to happen. But we desperately want life to be generated out of it. And, and that Hebrew phrase, uh, the blood itself in the life atones. It's hard to capture it in English, but, but what it, what it's, it, it's, it's, it's saying in this life God makes right with us. In, in, in the life of this lamb, in the life of this goat, in the life of this whatever is being sacrificed, this bull, that life, God says, okay, that's for your life. 
And as Christians, we confess that, that Jesus is the ultimate example, the ultimate sacrifice, the ultimate moment where one perfect, amazing, beautiful, holy, without blemish, incredible sacrifice is given. And God takes that life and says, okay, I'm going to give you your life back. I'm going to accept that as your life. It's a strange, um, it's a strange notion, although one we do intuit when we think about uh, combat or, or dying in childbirth. But, but it's, it's, it's a principle that goes deeply to what God thinks about death, right? God, God is radically for life. God's super pro-life. But God, I mean, if you're honest and you look at scripture, God also is involved with death, right? God sometimes commands it, certainly allows a lot of it. And we might wonder, what is it that, why, how can God, who is life itself, capital L, eternal life, the divine Father, Son, and Spirit, in eternal joy, life, and union, how is that God involved with death? Well, God treats life as sacred and says, if death is going to happen, and if I'm going to allow it, if I'm going to command it, the only reason I'm going to do so is to see new life brought about. That's the next thing you know, Jesus. God only wills death to generate life. Now, this is a, this is a much. It's a very radical uh, way of thinking about death, and it's and it's part of God's holiness. God's holiness first is radically pro-life. I am for life. God says the life of every creature is meaningful and sacred to me. I I, I want the blood to be protected. But if blood must be spilled, if there's going to be blood, then I want to see that blood lead to new life. And so that's what sacrifice is. I'm going to allow you, command you even, to take the life of this bull, but I'm going to trade that bull's life so that I can be with you again. I want real life for you. And and, and, and this, this, this pattern, this pattern of death into life, God manufactures and works with it all throughout the created order. And this is not the world. The world doesn't the world doesn't do this. The world runs from death. The world hates death. We hate death. The world does everything can to say put off death. I and, you know, I mean we we've all seen this, right? We've seen it, we've experienced it. You know, our culture, it's like our culture's very very much about like 50 is the new 30, you know? For me, 39 is the new 60. It's cool. The world understands uh, death. But the world doesn't see death generating anything at all. The world just sees an end. Hopelessness. And so for the world, the only thing to do is avoid death. And so we have this very odd kind of holiness, right? Where God is radically for life. And so radically for life that God uses and sometimes wills death to have more of it. Well, just look at the text one more time. I just want to point this out. You shall not eat the blood of any creature, for the life of every creature is in its blood. Whoever eats it shall be cut off. Uh, cut off, <laughs> 
cut off, that's a, that's a, that's a phrase. It really means exiled. And in the ancient world, um, being cut off from your people was like, uh, was like being killed. In fact, a lot of times it, it ended in death. Uh, because the ancient world is a very harsh place. They didn't have supermarkets. Um, and, and so being cut off from people, being exiled, if not a death sentence, was certainly something along those lines. It was, it was authorizing a sort of death in life. And in this case, what, what's, what's happening, right? What's God doing? God's saying, God's saying, here's somebody who does not respect life enough. Okay, well, that person needs to be moved out because that person doesn't get me. That person doesn't get how for life I am. And, and, and when we say life, it's not just, not just breathing, it's, it's being vitally, vigorously alive. When we think and when God thinks about the blood pumping through the body, it's not the, the blood of a weak heart sort of just circulating as, as the old hound is waiting for the end. That's not, that's not, I mean, that's, that's life, but that's little L life. That's small life. That's not life. Life is, well, uh, Bill and Rachel, they've got this dog. I don't know if you've seen this dog. Bill and Rachel, a couple of stuff. This dog eats like raw chicken. This dog, this dog is a serious dog. I think the dog probably comes up to about here on me. So it's probably about five feet tall, maybe 400 pounds. Um, all muscle, very sleek. Uh, and this dog, I mean, it just, I, so I have a picture of a dog. Imagine that dog only like a thousand times bigger and black. What's that dog called? No, 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 not Great Dane. I know it's a great, what's the name of the dog? Nala, Nala, it, from Lion King or something like that. All right, so this is a dog named after a lion because this dog is huge. And this dog is just loves everything alive. A bad call if you want like a dog that will protect you because someone walks in that door and the dog is like, oh, I love you, and just jumps on you and breaks your back and then you're on the ground just licking your face and you can't breathe. I mean, it's a lot of fun. I highly recommend you meet this dog. But that's life, right? That's, that's life. That's like in the, in, the, in the world of animals, that's what God is like. It's like, that's what I want. Okay, I don't want, I, I'm not, I mean, yes, I, we don't want Fluffy to pass when she's 17 years old and blind and diabetic. We don't. But that's not the life that God desires for creation. God wants to see vigorous, thriving, expansive life, the same life that the triune God experiences eternally as the Father glorifies the Son and the power of the Spirit, the life of, of majesty. It's the last thing here. No cheese. Holy rollers, that's us, are radically for capital L life in a world obsessed with little L life. And this is, it's, a, it's a difficult and it's a very complicated um, balance to strike. But, but the world wants to keep breathing. God wants the divine eternal life to be coursing through everyone's veins. And, 
And, and I think this means a few things for us. I think this means a few things for what holiness looks like for us, how we can be holy rollers, not obsessed with do's and don'ts, but instead part of it being obsessed with radical pro life, capital L life stances. And so, you know, there are some of us who, uh, you know, my, my best days are behind me. There's no doubt. I mean, I might be able to get back to like 28% of what I was when I was 26 if I work really hard. But insofar as I continue to breathe, I think what I'm being called to do is to redirect towards others, towards the next generation, towards those who have who've gone farther than I have and are struggling more than I am. Instead of it being about me, it's about capital L life and seeing the gospel spread, seeing redemption spread, seeing people's lives changed and transformed and grace entering and new hope and seeing chains broken and seeing people live a life that is different. And for those who are really far along on the journey and there's not a whole lot of little L life left, now is the time to pour it back in. One of the things I love about the coasters at this church is that they are so for the younger people in this church to the point that they put up with all kinds of stuff they don't like because they see it bringing God's redemption, God's hope, God's life, the spirit to others. And if you're young and you're, and you're vibrant and you've got, you're invincible. Uh, today here, Ryan and Hannah are both here. Uh, they're, uh, how old are you guys? You're 22. You're 20? Okay, Sierra's here. How old are you, Sierra? 17. Wow. Christian, 16. So right now, not practicing social distancing and breaking all kinds of laws, we have a 22-year-old, a 20-year-old, what did you say, 16 and 17? 17 and 16. To you and to all the other non-old people watching, I say, you, are, you, you have vigor right now. And that, that energy that you have, that ability that you have to just spring out of bed in the morning at 4 a.m. in Ryan's case, that is an opportunity to share capital L life with the rest of this community I want to thank uh, Ryan and Hannah for this week. If you received uh, a gift um, this week, they, they, they did the, a lot of the, the heavy lifting on that. They put on the miles. They made it happen because they wanted to share a little bit of capital L life with you. Life in the time of coronavirus. Life, capital L, life, in the time of coronavirus. It's an interesting dynamic, right? Uh, so I promised you, and so here we go. Uh, there's two sides, right? Two, two sides. One side says, every death from a coronavirus, bad, because they're pro-life. The other side says, destroying the economy, people at home, Getting fat and lazy. Bad. It's not life. That's, that's little L life. That's not big L life. 
And the other side says, well, you can't have big L life without little L life. You see, the sad fact of the matter is that we live in a corrupt, broken, messed up world. And as a result, it's not always easy to to see, this is where the capital L life is, that's what I need to be for, and this is where the little L life is, and I need to say, I'm not going to be obsessed with that. That's how Christians can be holy rollers, is to have that discernment to say one or the other. To be on the side, to say, I'm going after capital L life, I want eternal divine life, I want the life that God has for us, not the life of keep breathing. And how in every situation do we balance that? And we come to a place where we say, yes, that's what we're for. And in this particular situation, we have to make a choice. What would it look like for California, Orange County, the United States, the world, to be pro-capital-L life in the midst of coronavirus? Let's pray. Gracious God and Father, we thank you so much for your law your instruction, your teaching. We praise you, God, that we are not slaves to do's and don'ts, but instead are called to be radically for your life in the world. Life that thrives, that's engaged, joyous, full, truly, truly eternal. It doesn't end with death, but continues on into the next age. God, may Coast Bible Church be radically different from a world obsessed with keep breathing little L life. And instead, full to the brim, overflowing with the gracious, loving life you call us to. We bless you, God, and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.